0: it's interesting to note that just about everyone who sets out to bust the myth of the resurrection ends up becoming one of the greatest defenders of the story by the end of their research such is the wealth of work that has gone into investigating this event for now I just want to take a moment, if you've got your Bibles John chapter 20, I want to have a short devotional piece Instead of getting further scientific with it all, because I'm not going to outdo that, <laughs> I want to take a short scriptural journey here. A human story. And a story that takes us from a place of quickly dismissed myth to a position of undeniability. And uh, if you're not familiar with this character, I haven't got her on screen today. There was too much technology. But I'm just going to read from verse 24 today few short verses. Now Thomas, also known as Adudemus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them through the doors. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hands. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Now, from this, we can see the simple things. Thomas has been a very close associate with Jesus. He's one of the 12 apostles. He's not mentioned all that much through the gospel accounts, but John is the most vocal about him. He actually mentions him more than any of the others. For some reason, not known to us, he's not been around all this time while Jesus has been making all these amazing appearances after his death and resurrection. Suddenly, Jesus has been appearing. But Thomas has not seen it yet. Perhaps he was a guy who liked to grieve quietly, not in front of others. Perhaps he was liking his own space right now and he just couldn't hang with the others in the state he was in. Whatever it was, it looks like he's missing out in a pretty big way here. What we have in our scriptures is a very simple statement. We have seen the Lord. But the ancient text implies that this word seen is something referring to repeated interactions, repeated affirmations of the risen Lord. In other words, ten of Jesus' closest guys, ten of Thomas' closest friends right now, are testifying of a number of encounters with a physically risen Christ. But Thomas, for some reason, simply won't buy it. In fact, he's so resolute here and stubbornly so. He's much like the guy I spoke with on Friday afternoon about this whole Christian deal. Told me when it comes to faith and life, he deals with things he can see and that's it. Many of the atheists who over the centuries have set out to disprove the resurrection have said the same thing. I deal with facts. I deal with real things. I once said that as a guy who refused to believe, and I don't think I'm alone even in this room. But Thomas is a pretty special case. After all, he's seen a lot of miraculous things go down the last few years. He's watched dead guys, including children, wake up from the dead. all at the command of Jesus. But he's also watched that same Jesus be brutally put to death. And in his grief, he can't even logically conceive that the guy who rose others would himself rise again. One scholar describes this mindset as a strong urge to believe, held down by common sense and its habitual dread of disillusionment. In other words, it would be absolutely amazing if it were true. It would be life-changing. But what if it's not? What happens to me if I go all in with this, against all common sense, and I stake my life on it, only to discover otherwise? Would it be worth the risk? So Thomas instead digs his heels in and makes a stubborn statement. If I can touch it, if I can see it, to the point, and this is quite morbid, that if I can stick my hands in the now harmless wounds, then I'll go all in. Until then, uh-uh. No go. Then he folds his arms and then he waits and he sits down and he sticks his chin out in defiance for eight long days. While his other ten mates are bouncing off the walls with excitement of what they've seen and heard, And some in this room may well be sitting just like Thomas was. He's saying, "Can I deal with the things I see?" I see that you guys are all excited about this resurrection thing. People on the video, people are, are, are certainly seem convinced about it. Everyone's singing and, and worshiping, seem convinced by it all. but I'm more like Thomas right now. I'm here, so I want to give this resurrection idea the thought it deserves and I would love to know it's true. But I'm also worried about it not being true as well. After all, if Christian involves being all in with this resurrection, then it needs to be real, right? I would agree with you. This has to be real the resurrection has to be undeniable. It has to be plausible. It has to be confirmed. Otherwise, why bother? Paul the Apostle said the same thing in one of his letters. If the resurrection is not true, then this Christian faith is dead and hopeless. Let's consider how it worked out with Thomas and then we'll take a quick look at ourselves in that. The passage tells us that after this agonising wait, eight days in that setting would have felt like an eternity. We can go week to week and Sunday can roll into Sunday real fast and all that sort of stuff. Imagine the the heat of that moment. Imagine the conflict. Imagine watching those guys, not all ten friends and others, all just absolutely revelling in this knowledge that Jesus is risen and here you are. How agonizing would that be? But after that eternity, Jesus makes an appearance with Thomas finally in the same room. And he beelines straight for Thomas. He sticks his hand out. Raises his shirt where the spear had gone in. Scripture doesn't say this, but I can imagine it would be like, and a bit of a look like, well, I reckon Jesus would have been awesome with dramatic effect. But it's the manner in which he came and he interacted that stands out more than the proof of life here. The arrival is miraculous. Miraculous. The doors are locked, but Jesus gets in anyway. And although he's been out of Thomas' view for the last eight days, Jesus has heard every word that Thomas has spoken. This passage, therefore, tells of Jesus at work, both in the seen as well as the unseen. And I believe it's those unseen things in addition to the physical form standing in front of him that causes uh, Thomas to fall to his knees, not just acknowledging proof of life but acknowledging Jesus' deity at the same time as well. My Lord and my God. To Thomas, Jesus says, stop the doubts, unlock the doors, unfold your arms And I'm here to personally interact with your doubtful heart's cry. I heard all your doubts and here I am to interact with those. You've been crying out, give me proof. So here I am. Now believe. Now John is the author of this passage and it's some 50 or so years later after these things took place. We heard in the video about how the disciples never had anything recanted. They never recanted their statements. John was the last guy to write. The Gospel of John is about 85 AD. He's an eyewitness of these events, all of them including that room with Thomas. And he writes some interesting things as he takes note of all this. First, some additional words from Jesus to Thomas, but also to be repeated for those to come. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And second, Jesus says this, that John writes this, that Jesus did far more than could be documented in what he was writing. But what he chose to write was chosen to re- lead the reader to one conclusion and one response. The conclusion is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The response is to believe. That's a verb. It's to do action. It's to go all in. It's to buy wholeheartedly into Jesus, the risen Son of God. And go, I am going to walk like I'm following that, like I completely believe it. At the time of writing, John was probably the last eyewitness of these events of life. Thomas himself is believed to have been martyred in India before this was written. And beyond the 40 days Jesus walked the earth before ascending to heaven, and beyond the 500 or so witnesses of this fact, the church has been pretty much made up exclusively of believers who have not seen. Another scholar wrote this, if physical seeing were necessary to convince people of the reality of the resurrection... The church would have faltered within the first year of its life. And yet here we are. All over the world, millions of people gathering on Easter Sunday to celebrate that which they are convinced of. Admittedly, some more than others. While many of us take this time to seek and search out the reality of the story. But when we take it all in, when we consider the research, when we consider the scriptures, when we consider the sheer amount of people that continue to come and worship every single year for 2,000 odd years, there has to be some substance to this whole resurrection deal. The play this morning has presented a number of directions where you can keep on investigating. The person who wrote the play, Fiona, we were talking through the week and she highlighted a clip by Jay John, he's a minister in England. He joked that if you want to disprove the resurrection, go ahead and write a book about it. But before you do that, ask a few modern guys like Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell how that went for them. Or perhaps you can do what Jesus is calling you to do right now take a look at the unseen things that happened around Thomas and understand that those unseen things are happening around you too right now. You might have got the doors locked up in your heart but Jesus has a habit of getting under through that, under the skin and into those places. Maybe you're aware that he's actually nudging you. Maybe you're aware of his presence around you right now. Maybe he is already interacting with the doubts you might have actually stated yourself. Jesus waited purposely for those eight days because surely in that time the evidence and enthusiasm and the conviction of the other ten should have got him to lead his guard down right perhaps you can believe that Jesus has heard your heart's cries and your doubting comments perhaps you can come to a point today where you can believe that he wants to demonstrate how real he is is to you Perhaps you can believe that he sees your folded arms and the locks on the doors of your heart. But he wants to be in there, showing himself to be real and showing you what the power of the resurrected Christ can do in your life. But unlike Thomas, and Jesus indicated it had to be this way, will you have the faith to respond to him, sight unseen? knowing that the resurrection has already proven that Jesus has already done enough. We already walk in the conviction that he has risen. And for 2,000 years, that conviction has stood strong. Is that enough for you to see the reality of the resurrection? 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that we walk by faith, not by sight. It's a brave way. But down through the ages, you'll see that it has been shown to be the right way. Will you give your doubts to the resurrected Jesus? Sight unseen. Will you believe in him?